Hello and welcome to episode three of the Logic Behind the Lighting podcast. A couple of quick housekeeping things. First of all, still no sexy intro. Still no announcer with a big booing voice welcoming you to the new episode. I have to admit, I don't know when you're listening to this, but I'm working on this during the pandemic, so it's not exactly like I can walk next door and ask the neighbor for a cup of intro. I'm still not entirely sure how this works, but I get the feeling it would probably violate some term of social distancing. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to bring up was um, last episode I had mentioned something about the diodes of the uh, sky panels and saying that the switching from 3200 to 5600, it's the same blah 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 Turns out, I was wrong. Uh, not a big shocker. But uh, Will pointed out that he did some research and he uh, sussed it out and found out that the diodes for LEDs, the blue ones, tend to be a lot brighter. So I was wrong about there being no difference between the diodes. Um, I still stand by the wavelength theory that the, the, the shorter wavelength has the light travel further. Uh, and this goes back to, it, it, I thought the test would be simple. It's not as simple as I thought it would be. I still stand by the belief that the blue light does seem to travel better. Um, but my proof is trash. Uh, if you want to see what he researched, I'm going to include the link on the um, today's podcast uh, page on the electricandgrip.com webpage. So if you go there, you'll see what he was talking about. And uh, the other thing is if you're looking for a dimmer tech, Will is a great guy. Um, you know, He'll tell you when you're wrong, and, uh, you know, he may be available. I kid. Anyway, uh, let's go on. No point in lingering. Let's go ahead and get right to what this episode is going to be about, and that's the size of the light. Uh, this is actually a really major topic that actually works part and parcel with the last episode about the inverse square. It's one more wrinkle, because if you spent any time on set, as we've said before, it can never be easy, and this is just further proof. Basically, what it comes down to is the bigger the light, the softer it is. Oh, okay. I mean, really, that's about it in a nutshell. So I guess we're done here. Okay, uh, turn off the light on your way out. Thank you for stopping by. Good night and uh, stay away from anyone who's coughing. No, I, I mean, I, I guess I could say more. All right, I may as well, right? Okay, here we go. Before we go any further, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about hard light. Is there anything inherently wrong with hard light hitting an actor? And the answer is simply no. Uh, they won't spontaneously combust or the camera won't shut down or anything. In fact, for literally decades, the vast majority of the time in the industry, you'd be hard-pressed to, to, hard to not have the actors be lit by big Fresnels pointed directly at them. And that look may come back at this point. Uh, we don't know. It's all cycles. We can talk about that another time, but it's all cycles. Uh, the fact of the matter is that in this modern era we live in, you'd be hard-pressed to find a light on set that hits the, direct, uh, hits the subject directly, unless it's a background element, or if it's a backlight. But even backlights tend to have some sort of diffusion on them. It just seems to be that in this modern era, which I talk about a lot, as you may or may not have witnessed or noticed, in this modern era, everything gets some diffusion on it, or it's bounced, or something. Maybe it's both. And again, that may change in the future, cycles, but for the next, at least the next little while, that's what it is. So we should talk about the light and size and how one defines the quality of the other. First, let me talk about the size being relative. We all know that the biggest light in the solar system is the sun, right? So it should be the softest, theoretically. I heard somebody try to posit that theory. 
a little bit absurd because the problem is the fact that it's so damn far away. And this is where the relative part comes in. Relatively speaking, it's very, very small, but it's extremely bright. So the shadows it produces are very sharp, very crisp. But this is where we segue into the concept of diffusion. Staying with the sun example, let's talk about clouds. Personally, I find clouds to be both the bane and savior of lighting. It depends on what you've established in the morning of shooting. But on a cloudy day, when the sky is nothing but clouds, completely socked in, it works fantastically for softness. No longer is the singular point of the sun the light source, but the expanse of the sky becomes the light source. On a day when you're totally socked in, you see the light outside and everything becomes butter. It just wraps around everything. It's hard to tell where the key and fill side actually are because it just melts. Granted, there are pros and cons to this as far as creating depth and interest, but let's look at the light source for a second. Like I said, the clouds become the light source. It's not the sun. Which is what brings us to the concept of diffusion. I mean, it's super obvious, but I need to say it out loud. Diffusion in front of a light does the exact same thing as a cloud does when it blocks the sun. It becomes the light source. So... Let me throw it back a bit so it's more obvious. When you have a 5K Fresnel with no diffusion, it will make a hard shadow on the subject. Put diffusion, put diffusion in front of it, and obviously it softens it up, right? Simple. But there's a catch. There is always a catch. The obvious next step to talk about uh, is to talk about which diffusion you put in front of the light. If you go with something light, with something like Opal or 250, you still maintain a little bit of the integrity of the beam of the light. You can still get a sense of the shape of the Fresnel behind the diffusion. I mean, the diffusion is still the source. It spreads it out more. If you go heavier with like 216 or even 129, um, you stop noticing the beam of light, and it just spreads through everything. Usually the light makes uh, lights a lot more pleasing when it hits the person. It's a lot harder to cut, though. That's the flip side. We know this. But here's where the catch comes in. We were talking about the size of the light, right? So we can extrapolate and know that a 4x4 frame isn't going to be as soft as an 8x8 frame. And an 8x8 frame doesn't have the same general wash as a 20 by because the size of the source has changed, right? Again, obvious stuff here. But that's why adding diffusion to a light doesn't really achieve your goals. There's no hard and fast rule. To be honest, my experience with soft light is that all the rules break down and you walk into a very touchy-feely world. What I mean by that is if you have two 4x4 four, four frames of 250 or half-white diffusion or quarter grid, whatever you want to call whatever you want to use for that, that, that same general aesthetic, and you marry them in front of the light, it doesn't really equal a single frame of 216 or full white. So if you get two 4x4s fr- two four of 250, mash them together on one frame, it doesn't look the same as 216, which is full white. Mathematically, 16 square feet of double half should equal 16 square feet of single full white, right? But another thing I've noticed, and maybe it's just me, but an 8x8 of light grid feels softer than a 4x4 of light grid, of full grid, sorry. An 8x8 of light grid feels softer than a 4x4 of of full grid. I really can't explain it. I bet if you ask the right people on set about this or maybe go find Will, he'll go tell you uh, that I'm an idiot and it can be explained easily with a little bit of research. I believe the former statement is absolutely true, but I'm still waiting for someone to walk me through the ladder. Will. In any case, my firm belief is that it's a Zen thing. Going back to that metaphysical crap that I was talking about last episode. You try to make the diffusion the heaviest and biggest you can without sacrificing the amount of light hitting the subject. 
there's no hard and fast rule here, which makes sense that there's no hard and fast rule for soft lighting. It would be contradictory, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let me put it this way. One of the biggest, softest lights I know of is the book light, where you diffuse a bounce source. But it's not going to do you a damn bit of good if you can't get enough light to hit the actor, right? Oh, and that's not all. That's not the only hassle with soft light. You're not just trying to get the softest light and get enough light to hit the actor. Don't forget about the inverse square law. Uh, that pesky bastard from the last episode, this is its chance to really come out and shine and totally bone you. I know that I said that the inverse square law breaks down when you add diffusion to the mix. I have actually, out of curiosity, gotten a tape measure and a light meter and walked the paces one time just to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to myself that double the distance from the light source, in this case the diffusion, does not mean half the light. The problem is that it usually means less than half the light. The formula breaks down the opposite way you need it to. But the worst part about this whole situation is that even though the inverse square law breaks down with soft light, it doesn't go away. Not at all. Things too close to the light are still a ton brighter than things further from the light. And that can absolutely kill you when you have actors and cameras moving around in the shot in a big frame. If you got a big room and you got a bunch of people walking around because it's an ensemble piece and you have the camera move from point A to point B and the actors move from this conversation to that and you've got this one big light source, ay, it's madness. It's a, it's, it's a true pain in the ass. What ends up happening is you have to go for the sources further away again like the balloons up top or, or whatever it takes. You need the biggest source possible again. But again, there's a catch, a catch on top of the catch. Let's go back and discuss the sun again, specifically the fact that it's a huge source, but it's really far away. So the light feels very hard and the shadows are very sharp. Well, the same happens to our soft sources. So if you think, I know what to do here. I want a soft source. So I'll put a really big instrument behind a heavy diffusion. I'll back it way off and the inverse squ uh, square law will work for me. I have some bad news for you. Your source becomes small again. A 20 by 20 across a football field gets very tiny. So your big soft source that does great things for close-up turns out to be a sharp shadow maker when it's far enough, to weigh, far enough away to conquer all the fall-off issues. So if you have the big balloon at the top of the church and it's really far away, it'll bone you. It's uncanny how many different ways that these things, like soft light and the inverse square and all these things, can shoot yourself, help you shoot yourself in the foot. It's just amazing. And this is where we start learning about compromise. Because our job is nothing if not a constant compromise. I'm not saying that no one gets what they want. That would be a lie. But I promise you that if you're lucky enough to get to the tier of getting what you want, it will only be after years and years and years and a ton of luck and skill and hard work and sweat and tears that finally allows you that. Your lighting budget will always be lower than you need it to be to get the job done right. You will never have quite enough gear or manpower, and you will definitely not have enough time. And if you spent any time on set in any capacity you know this is absolute truth. And that holds true for the tangible as well as the intangible. It's always a struggle to back the light up and make it big enough to be pretty, especially on location shooting when walls can't be moved. And just about as often on stage, when you just don't have time to do it right, you don't have time to pull the walls out that you want to pull out. So we compromise. I can't count the number of times I've thrown a Fresnel into a corner of a room and jammed some infusion against the flange of the light just so I can take the curse off 
and still be able to use the doors to try and cut the light off of the walls. And I know that this kind of sucks, and I know the light's not really that soft, and I know it kind of blech as a key, but that is the only option to get enough light on the subject that there will actually be an exposure and there will be actually, actually be a winning side um, on the person's face so you can see them and it has just a modicum of artistic integrity. I mean, I find it happens less now, but I'm not sure if it's because we never use Fresnels anymore or if I don't get to be boxed in as much because I've been lucky to be on bigger and bigger budget shows in my career. Personally, I think it's a mixture of both. So what do we do? Well, we make the best of the situation. So when the boss says they need the unwieldy light placed in an inconvenient spot with stuff in front of it that doesn't really fit, you have to believe that if they could change it, they probably would. If you think the light is in a dumb place because it's hard to work to work it, then you're probably right. But the bigger, the bigger problem is that it's probably in the best place it can be, and if it could have been somewhere else, it probably would have been. I'm not saying this just so when you're on set with me, you don't, you, you know, you go ahead and cut me some slack, although I'd appreciate it. I'm saying this so when you're in charge and you realize you're boxed in a corner and you have to compromise, you're not alone. Anyway, I think I've come to a point where I'm going to have to stop compromising this episode and just let it end here. Thank you for tuning in. And I just want to thank you and let you know that the next episode is a the one about a topic that's basically changed my career. Episode four is going to be about where to put the key. I am not kidding when I say that learning that basically changed everything for me, made my life a ton easier, put some order into the daily madness that is filmmaking, and that alone is gold. It's one of those moments I specifically remember being told this piece of information. It's one of those life changers. So I'm, if you don't know where the key goes, like many of us didn't or don't, it actually might be a handy episode. But for now, I want to thank you again for listening and remind you that if you have any questions or comments or criticisms, Will, uh, please feel free to email me, uh, dave at electricandgrip.com. And don't forget to check out the website in general for visual rep representations of some of my blather. Have a great rest of your day. I will talk to you soon. And uh, from all of us at The Logic Behind the Lighting, a.k.a. me, thank you very much. Take it easy.